and uh, prepare the way of the Lord. Been here in John chapter 1. The religious community is skeptical and hating of those who may change tradition. I've got it on tonight, Wesley. (laughs) I've been keeping off my lapel mic. He's had to remind me. Anyways, and uh, the religious community is skeptical of those who change tradition, opposed to doing things God's way, but rather they want things their own way, and their main issue really is a rebellion to authority. And they do not see, they don't know God. They're too blinded by his self-righteous views. Uh, They can't see God's appointed man in front of them. And tonight, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. And here in John chapter 1, verse 19, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not. But confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, that Christ? Nor Elias, neither that prophet. John answered him, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. John the Baptist presented himself in humility in, in the wilderness, but he also did so with boldness. His message was humble but bold. He presented some new truths from differing from the Jewish uh, religious Jews. What this did is it raised their ire, it raised their anger because he's changing it from the man-made religious aspects of Judaism. John was bold in his witness. He didn't change. He He didn't alter his message just because it was unpopular. If he dealt with the Pharisees or he dealt with a, a person who was legitimately uh, uh, penitent or, or repentant or confessing of their sins. Either way, the message was the same. John's ministry was to prepare hearts to turn towards Christ. To prepare, prepare people for the Messiah. You know what, like in our, as Christians, our ministry is to give the message that people would come to know Christ. You know, John was preparing the way of the Lord for his first appearance, for Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And, you know, we're preparing people's hearts for the second appearance when he comes again. You know, in two aspects of John's ministry, preparing the way of Christ, and the second aspect is getting devoted disciples. His whole ministry was getting disciples to leave him. (laughs) That's an interesting thing. Uh, is not this, you know, when you think about this, the great commission of Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, who is Jesus, have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even in the end of the world. You know, Jesus, the idea is someone gets saved, baptized, they join the church, they get faithful to the Lord, and then from here, 
they grow and they get discipled and they learn more about the Lord. And the goal is that, you know, if God ever leads them out, to go out and plant and start other churches elsewhere. That's goal. Churches reproduce churches. Just as humans reproduce humans, churches as a living organism, a spiritual organism, it, it is to reproduce itself. Now, John never claimed authority, but God clearly gave it to him. And he fulfilled the very thing he was called to do. You know, and, uh, and, and the same thing for us as Christians, prepare the way of the Lord. Because as Jesus will come back a second time to earth, the second time he touches ground on earth, it's not going to be a good day during the tribulation period. Now, we as Christians, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we won't, we'll come back with him because we'll be raptured up before the whole tribulation starts. But what God is calling us to do is not settle upon some traditions of religion, but stand fast upon the word of God. In Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what God has called us to do is prepare the way of the Lord in the lives of those with whom we minister. Let us pray, and uh, we'll continue our study tonight as we look at John the Baptist and his ministry here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield tonight to Thee. Father, I thank You. that God, You've called us, You've given us, each and every one of us, as ambassadors of Christ, as the Scriptures attest. And Father, here is John the Baptist, the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ, his family and relative. And Lord, his whole ministry was to point people not to himself, but to Jesus Christ. And his end of his ministry was to point even disciples to be with Jesus, not himself. And Lord, may that be our hearts to point everyone to Jesus. And God, I pray tonight, I pray for the hearts of each and every person here. Should there be someone here tonight that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the God of all, the Creator, the Redeemer, Lord, I pray tonight that they would confess their sins and ask you to be their only Savior. And Father, I yield tonight to you. You take over. You speak through me. I'm your yielded instrument. I love you. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We have an inquisitive delegation here in John chapter 1. And uh, they send to him some people. Who art thou? Like, right? I mean, they're trying to figure out who is this John the Baptist guy. I mean, the guy like eats locusts. He wears camel's hair. He's out in the desert. He's a little kind of kooky. I mean, he's a little crazy. <laughs> and our main text here, you know, the Pharisees had sent priests and Levites to him. They want to figure out who this weird guy is preaching some message that's so different than them. You know, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. I mean, he's essentially eating grasshoppers and honey. That's his diet. I guess that's organic and that's healthy and non-GMO and the whole gamut right there. Then went out to him... Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized in Jordan, confessing their sins. I mean, he had become so influential. He had such crowds around him that people began to be around him. And now he's beginning to 
to increase in popularity, and it, it in fact uh, draws the attention of the priests and the city leaders. So they send delegates to figure out, who is this weird guy? Well, the Pharisees were an important sect of Judaism. They numbered about 6,000. They were the most influential. In fact, they would hold a strict interpretation of the law. They embraced many oral traditions. And they were the only minor group to survive the Jewish war of AD 66 to 70. Remember in the the year 70 AD, Titus and, and Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. And their teachings of the Pharisees formed the basis for the Talmudic Judaism, where they follow the Talmud. And their question to the baptizer was, in essence, since you have no official title, why in the world are you baptizing? I mean, what is your authority? Who gave you the authority to baptize? And John the Baptist is preparing a nation for the Messiah to come. He called them to repent of their sins. He proved their repentance by being Baptized and live, and these people would prove their repentance that they had accepted Christ. They confessed of their, you know, they not accepted Christ, but they had repented of their sins and put their faith in God. And, and then they change lives and they're baptized thereafter. And, and just, I mean, radically transforming. He's preparing people to follow the Messiah. Now, on some of the background on this questioning about whether John was Elijah, the Messiah, or the prophet, I mean, these men they know their scriptures. And they adamantly claimed that he was none of these men. John, you're some crazy old man. Crazy, he wasn't even old, but some crazy man. Uh, He was six months older than Jesus. Jesus started his ministry at 30, and around 33 or so, he died. And so at the start of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist's head is cut off. At 30. So he's a young man. And yet he would upset the traditions of the religious leaders. Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, why in the world are these people thinking this is Elijah? Look with me at Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So the last two verses of the book of Malachi, which is Malachi, is the the book right before Matthew, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. It says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children of their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So these people, are, they, they know this prophecy. They know the Old Testament. Are you Elijah? And then you also find in Luke chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 17, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So, I mean, they, they understand he went in the power of Elijah. He wasn't Elijah. Now, John didn't claim any prominence. 
and even Jesus in Matthew 17, 12, but I say unto you that Elias has come already and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer them. He says, listen, Elijah's already come. They hated this man. They didn't like Elijah back in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying the Son of Man, they don't like him either. The religious people, they don't want Jesus. He's against their traditions. He's against them being in control and all their, you know, the trappings of how some... The Pharisees, and you know, you got to follow all our rules, and that's how you get to God. Well, the Bible, God's given us the Bible to follow, so you don't have to follow some man-made tradition. You can follow Jesus. You don't have the control of some hierarchy, some papal authority, whatever have you. And as you find this thing, and then we also find, why was it that prophet that they're also talking about? Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God and Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have, they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So they're thinking, you know, is he this prophet? Now Jesus, we know, or excuse me, John was a forerunner uh, uh, of himself. You know, Matthew, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, John was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Let me correct that. But in Matthew chapter 11, but what, you know, Jesus asking, you know, look with me in Matthew 11. But they think, is he this prophet that's coming? I mean, the words that he's saying and all the, I mean, we have Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, you know, preparing the way of the Lord. Is he Elijah? We don't know. I mean, because you have Malachi. And so these people are kind of confused. Who is this weird guy wearing camel's hair, a leather, a leather girt, you know, a leather belt essentially around his waist, and he living on locusts and wild honey? But yet his message is so condemning of the religious people. He just, I mean, they're just, their mind is blown. Who is this guy? In Matthew 11, verse 9, But what went ye out for to see a prophet? Yea, say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John's entire ministry was to prepare for Jesus' coming. He says in verse 11 of Matthew 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, Jesus talks highly of John the Baptist. Now, Jesus is a fulfillment of this very thing. Acts chapter 3, when you think about this prophet, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And you you find, you know, the fulfillment. John would continue to preach about this and, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the coming of the way of the Lord. And if you don't listen to Jesus, you don't listen to John, you're destroyed. Now, some of the things of John, what did John assert about himself? He was, number one, 
In John chapter 1, verse 27, coming back to our main text, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoe latch and I'm not worthy of loose. John came in humility. Even Herod would make it his business. I mean, here is some guy out in the wilderness preaching for a very short period of time, really. And yet God used him so mightily in preparing the nation for the Messiah to come, Jesus Christ. He would have conversations with Herod and he would even condemn Herod for having relations with his brother's wife. In fact, she was so mad she wanted his head cut off and so his head was cut off. He was a humble servant. You know, that's what God has called us to be, is a humble servant, not exalting ourselves, not looking, hey, look at me, look at how great I am. When you think about this idea of pointing to someone who's great, I want to give you a, a slight illustration tonight. One evening, the great conductor, Arturo Toscanini, conducted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. A brilliant performance. And then the, the audience just went wild. I mean, they clapped, they whistled, they were just like, woo! You know, they were so caught up in the moment. The greatness of the performance. As that conductor stood there, he bowed and bowed and then acknowledged his orchestra. When the ovation finally began to subside, he turned and looked intently at his musicians. Almost out of control. And he said, gentlemen, gentlemen. And the orchestra leaned forward to listen. He fiercely enunciated, gentlemen, I am nothing. He said he had just conducted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, but he said, I'm nothing. And he even says to the orchestra, you're nothing. But Beethoven, he says, is everything, everything, everything. Now I understand that's a worldly applause, and the applause goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in fact, before God, we're all, you know, we, we all come from the dust, we're going to all, someday, should the Lord tarry and we go to the earth, we're going to be dust. Our bodies, will, our physical bodies. Our souls will go on to the eternity. And John here, as he says, prefer before me whose shoe latch I'm not worthy to unloose. You know, in fact, a little, let me give you a little, why, some of the background on this statement, whose shoe latch I'm not worthy to unloose, slaves carried their master's sandal. The one servile, it's a servant activity that was too demeaning for rabbis, disciples to, to duplicate. But John claims he is not worthy to even be Christ's slave. Christ's prophets were often called God's servants in the Old Testament. It's this aspect of humility. John realizes that Jesus is the creator. He's God himself in the flesh. He says, I'm not worthy. You know, in our, in our ministry to others, for any believer as Christians, it's not the assertion of myself. It is the promotion of Jesus Christ. When I'm talking about people, look at all that I've done. No, it's not what I've done. Look at what Jesus has done through me. Because it's not about me, it's not about you. 
And John is making, you know, you think about this. John understood his ministry. He was working himself out of a job. He was preparing people. Israel at that time was so steeped in religion. I mean, they had religion everywhere. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. So we've got to be on our way to heaven. We, I mean, they had all of these trappings of religiosity. And John comes on the scene. <laughs> he says, uh-uh, no. Put your faith in God. Repent of your sins. He baptizes them and they become disciples. And again, that's upsetting, upsetting to the religious traditions. You know, the Pharisees really don't see the purpose of John's life. Several things John needed to straighten out there. They needed to see that the seed that had been promised to Adam in Genesis 3.15, you find the first mention, really, of messianic prophecy, Messiah's prophecy, messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15, known as the Proto-Evangelium. And it's the first part in the scriptures where you find a prophecy of the Messiah to come. There in the third chapter of Genesis, excuse me. In Abraham, another seed in Genesis 22 is a reference to the Messiah. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. The common thought of these scriptures was to the circumcised Jew as opposed to the coming, you know, the thought, the common thought is that it's really just the circumcised Jew and it's not the coming Messiah. And Paul clearly defined, defined the seed to be Christ. Galatians 3.16. Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He said this seed is Jesus Christ. You know another, now here's another misconception. The Jewish people are under Roman rule. They didn't like being under Roman rule. They didn't want another nation to be ruling over them. So their idea of a Messiah is that this Messiah uh, and their conception is going to be some great warrior. The army's with me. We're going to squash the Romans. They're done. That's the idea. I mean, they are eager to get out from underneath Roman rule. I mean, these Roman, these Gentile dogs, these pagan people, I mean, they wanted out of that. They wanted to be liberated. And the Jews were perpetually violated throughout the centuries. And their concept of a Messiah really, if you would, it devolved or it, 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 it lessened into only being a vengeful leader that's going to help free us and now make us a great nation again. The Jews saw themselves as the subject of the Messiah's salvation or deliverance. They saw all other people, the Gentiles, as the subjects of the Messiah's judgment. The Jews were the ones acceptable to God. All others were unacceptable, as they thought. We're the superior race. Now, the Jewish people had lost their bearing. Abraham, and God's working through Abraham, was to be a light to the nations to point people to God. And for years, hundreds of years, Israel 
lost sight of the spiritual importance of, their, of God's blessings upon them. Because God gave them that land, God delivered them, God got them across the Red Sea, God got them across the Jordan River, and if you remember Rahab, she, she says, listen, we heard of all that God did, of all, I mean, how you got all those people out of Egypt, across the, you know, the Red Sea, down through the desert, we heard all of it, and we quaked in fear, because they realized there's a real God. They were to appoint people. The Old Testament, many times, there's this concept. The God of the Old Testament is a mean, vindictive, horrible God. But the God of the New Testament, he's so lovey-dovey and caring. That's not true at all. In the Old Testament, Israel, we find them so often, they're so enamored with the materialism and idolatry and trying to be like their neighbors. Jesus comes on the scene, and now Israel is so enamored by their neighbors, the Romans, and all this stuff. They want to be a great nation again, but they don't want to do things God's way. They've got their religious traditions, and that's how we're going to do it. What had become spiritual now became political. And that can easily happen to us Christians today. I'll we can get so focused. If we get the right political party in office then we'll be a good nation. No, we won't. The politics doesn't change your heart. They lost sight of the fact that their sins had put them in that state of bondage. Your sin put you in bondage. They would relish their Jewish traditions. And they really needed a great overhaul of their religion. 2 Timothy 3.5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know what, it can be like many people who might sit in churches today, and we sit there, we're glad, we go to church, we do our thing, I read my Bible, I do my daily prayers, and, and I, you know, I, I did my checklist for the day, my good Christian deeds. But you know what, if I just did my duty deeds to my wife, I gave her a kiss, I said I love you, check, check. I did a few nice things for her, check, check. Now I'm done for the day. That's not a very good relationship. That'd be a very awful relationship, in fact, because now what the relationship of wanting to help and invest and having a relationship, like, like she cares for me and I care for her and vice versa. We get to this point in this idea of church. Okay, I, I go to church, I read my Bible, I mean, and I just said this, but we get this idea, if I do these, then he'll be pleased with me. God is not some mechanical checklist that you're supposed to check off. And what John the Baptist is doing, he's saying, listen, it's not just following your feasts and holidays. It's not just observing the Sabbath. There's a reason we observe the Sabbath. So we can give our hearts to, to praising God. We can give our hearts to corporately doing this. I mean, there is this whole notion. I mean, the whole Passover and all of this is thanking God for the deliverance he's given. And remembering what he's done. I mean, there's this continual remembrance of the praises of God. The same as we have today. And so John comes on the scene. He says, listen, stop what you're doing. They didn't care about the heart. They didn't care about what's going on here. 
As long as outwardly you dress right and you talk right and you, you, know, you go through all the little things of what a good little Jewish person does, that, that's all they cared about. John, Jesus Christ's message was so radical that John was needed to prepare people to hear him. Jesus Christ was perfect and without defilement. I mean, he totally takes that apple cart and he turns it upside down. You know, in verse 2 of Matthew 3, in saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, Listen, God is with us. Emmanuel. You know, and John's baptism wasn't focused on making disciples of himself. It was rather making disciples that would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That they should believe on him which should come after him. As, you know, and then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. He says, listen, I'm baptizing you so you'll follow Jesus when he comes on the scene. He was doing everything to prepare for when Jesus was there. A public expression here. Repentance on the part of the Jewish hearer. You know, in the Jewish cultic group, the Essenes, along the shores of the Dead Sea, at the Qumran, they practiced a form of ritual immersion, whereby they were immersed for ceremonial purification. They also did that. Rabbinical Judaism at that time also advocated a form of immersion for ceremonial purification called a mikvah. And so baptism is not, baptismal immersion full under the water was not uncommon. It conveyed the sense of outwardly identifying with a message or a messenger was symbolic of cleansing. But nevertheless, we have John coming on the scene. So when they're getting baptized by John the Baptist, they're no longer, they're saying, I'm no longer Jewish. I'm ready to follow the Messiah. You know, Christian, when we present the truth that all people are sinners in need of a Savior, the world at large will struggle with such a a notion of inherited sin, that we were born sinners. That we were all born with a defiled heart against God. You know, one commentary mentions, it says the messenger was a baptizer. John was asked why he baptized. His baptism shocked the Jewish nation, it goes on to say, for Jews were never baptized. Baptism was only for non-Jewish persons who were converts to the Jewish faith. The Jews considered all Gentiles unclean, so they had to be baptized when they became converts. All males were also circumcised. Jews were thought to be clean and acceptable to God no matter how they lived, because Jews were of the seed of Abraham, of his heritage. They were his seed, the promise the people promised to Abraham. And so the religionist people, the people who are so steeped in religion, they want to know if John was the Christ. You know, they believe that when Christ came, he'd institute the practice of baptism. They want to know if John was a prophet. And it really was, John's baptism was radical because it was, you know, as he mentions, a shocking practice for the, you know, he mentions baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John, Luke 3, 3. Now, John doesn't waste time answering these delegations' questions. He wasn't accountable to the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Just because of their societal status, just because of their prominence in culture, he's not beholden to them. He knew where his authority came from. and It didn't come from some religious people that bestowed upon him some virtue. 
His authority came from God. I mean, John's calling in John 1, 6. Look with me here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. God sent John the Baptist. His ordination, Luke 1, 13 and 17. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. His obligation, you know, our obligation is to reconcile people unto God. We are preparing people for the day we stand before God in judgment. Now, if you're a Christian, our judgment is paid. Now, there's consequences of rewards gained or lost, but our penalty of death and hell is already satisfied by Jesus Christ. John's authority, in Matthew 21, look with me here. It's, you, know, you know, this, I mean, John the Baptist really just threw a wrench into the whole religious system of the Pharisees. They could not quite figure out what in the world, who was this guy, you know? He's just undoing cultural taboos, just things that have always been, as they would think. And so in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> I love how Jesus responds to them. He says, listen. <laughs> and these guys, I mean, they're in a, they're in a pickle. They're not a good you know, they're not in a good place to be. And, you know, they realize he's really of God. They don't want the people mad at him. Because they realize the power that God had given upon his life. And then John calls out the Pharisees as vipers, a generation of vipers. And you know what John did that was amazing in this whole aspect of preparing the way of the Lord? He said, I'm going to obey God rather than men. I'm going to obey God rather than some traditions of men. You know, Christian, it's okay to be controversial before man if you're busy doing the Lord's work. It's not okay to be controversial when you're living for yourself, unfaithful in your lack of zeal to draw men to Christ. And John the Baptist would stand against the worthless Pharisees' doctrines. It's stand against the Pharisees who perpetuated these very truths, who questioned, criticized, and tried to distract him from his mission of preparing people's hearts for the Lord. If you think about this tonight, for you and I, John prepared people's hearts for the Messiah to come. We prepare for people's hearts by giving them the message 
Now they were, he was pointing them to say, hey, the Messiah prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. That's not what we're doing. But we are saying prophecy will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. The religious crowd may question your zeal. They may question your desire to honor the Lord first. They will try to stop you from acting in a godly fashion. Try to question or get you to compromise and let lower, low, loosen your standards. You know, an idol is anything that we put in our lives that pulls our attention and praises away from God. Religious idolaters will not be a part of God's plan for this age or the age to come. These religious people were very proud men. They wanted all the titles. They wanted all the praises of men. They wanted, look at me, and they would say these grandiose prayers, Oh, God, our Father, in some grandiose fashion. John wanted none of that. He said, Jesus is coming, and I'm just his servant. I'm not even worthy to undo his shoes as a servant, as a slave. You know, the fact is, Christian, Jesus Christ is not just some buddy Jesus that some might try to lower him to. He's not just some chum friend. He's our Messiah. He's our Redeemer. He is God in the flesh. He is, he is you know, Lord of lords and King of kings. He's the one will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who don't know Christ will stand in the great white throne judgment. We ought not to ever lower our view of who Jesus is. And so as you think about this tonight, prepare the way of the Lord. Christian, our lives are preparing and the message we give to prepare hearts for Jesus. To point them to Jesus to put ourselves, if we could, out of a job if the whole world accepted Christ. We know that won't happen from Scripture, but that's still our obligation. I trust tonight that we'd prepare the way of the Lord. For as James states, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And I wait for when Jesus comes again. Friend, we must prepare the way of the Lord. We must be diligent to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And for those who might be religious, and you've you got all the trappings, you know I'm supposed to do this, stand up, sit down, do this prayer, say this prayer, do this thing, and, and, and that's what you're trusting in for eternity. That's what you're trusting in to be, have a right relationship with God. You're going through a lot of vain or empty motions before God. It won't matter in eternity. Because if you reject Jesus as the Pharisees did, you reject God and you face his judgment. But what God's called us to do, just the same thing that John the Baptist would preach about repenting of their sins. Place your faith exclusively in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not about being religious. But do you know God? John the Baptist was related to Jesus, but he also, you know, sometimes when you're related to someone, you get too familiar and like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> that wasn't John the Baptist. He understood the prophecy was fulfilled 
in Jesus. He also understood who Jesus was as God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, as we oftentimes sing at Christmas time. What a marvelous thing. Prepare the way of the Lord. And Christian, tonight, how are you doing in preparing the way of the Lord for others to see Christ, to know Christ? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is not about whether you're a good person. It's not about whether you've been baptized or gone to church or read your Bible or said some prayer. It's about whether you've placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ for your eternity, for the forgiveness of all your sins. If you were to stand before him as a judge, you're guilty. You ask him to forgive you and be your Savior. You receive the gift that Jesus says, if you'll accept me by faith, I'll pay for all the wrong you've ever done and you will be forgiven, my friend. I trust you do that this evening as we come to a time of invitation. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward for invitation, please, and prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist really kind of confused these people. because they're, they're like, he doesn't fit in our mold of religion. Who is this man? I mean, he's just, he's an out-of-the-box guy. Because Jesus doesn't fit the mold of religion of all this checklist. Because a checklist is you trying to do all these works to somehow merit God's favor. We can never merit God's favor on our own actions. Jesus paid it. Jesus did all the work, and we simply ask him by faith. It's a gift. Will you receive that gift tonight? As the music plays, I trust, as a Christian, you think about preparing the way of the Lord, and as a, uh, maybe you're not saved tonight. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And tonight, you'd say, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve heaven. And I realize who Jesus is, that he died on that cross for my sins. And I'd like to ask him to forgive me of all my sins. If you'd like that this evening, I'd love to pray with you after the service and, and just talk with you and show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure Jesus is your Savior, your sins are forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven. What a blessing thing it is to know Jesus, to have the Spirit of God living within you. And as a Christian... There's many that need to hear this message, even in our own community, sometimes our own homes and families, workplaces. Would you do business with God tonight? Just a moment longer as the musical play, and I just trust that you would be a light. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our precious Savior. Lord, I just yield today to thee. Father, I ask tonight for us as Christians that we would help prepare the way of the Lord, that in regards to preparing people to look to Christ, Lord, we'd be the example, and Lord, we'd have the message to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, I understand John the Baptist fulfilled prophecy and had a very unique ministry. But, Lord, those of us as Christians are still pointing people to Christ. And, Lord, we're not worthy, but yet you've given us the calling. And should there be someone here tonight, Lord, that is not certain of their salvation, they're not certain where they would be if this life were over and they were to breathe their last breath, I pray tonight that they'd settle that decision. God, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for the word of God. Lord, may we go out and be the bearers of light 
in a world of darkness. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.